Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, welcome back to Across the Romaverse. It's episode 59, and unfortunately after Roma's first loss of the season at the hands of Hellas, yes, they were recording about 24 hours after the fact here on Monday the 20th. Uh, Jim and Brandon, your first Roma podcast as, as losers, so to speak. So Jim, how are you doing on this Monday? I'm trying to think of us as 5-1 winners instead of 3-2 losers. Uh, other than that, you know, <laughs> uh, it'll be fun to talk about, I guess. <laughs> yeah, what about you, Brandon? Uh, I'm doing okay. I just couldn't we have given EDF one more game before they sacked him. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm still recovering myself from the loss, but uh, looking forward to get into it. Yeah, it's funny you say that because when he got fired, I actually tweeted, uh, I wish they kept him on for one more match. And unfortunately, Hellas made me eat my words because they uh, they took it to Romeo. It was like a completely different team from their first three matches. So We'll get into Hellas in just a bit, but first we'll start with a little background. We'll look back quickly on last Thursday's match against Jessica Sofia since we didn't get to talk about that. You know, we've only been meeting on Monday. So uh, Roma, pretty good result on Thursday. Started a little slow, actually fell behind at home to Seska, which was a bit disappointing when, you know, the match started. It was a lot of heavy turnover from Mourinho, which is what we kind of called for last Monday when we talked about it, hoping he would rest some players, which he did. Uh, and then Roma finally went to work and then it went the match 5-1. So what did you take from that match, Brandon? Um, the rotation was probably the biggest takeaway for me. Um, I think, you know, Marina Mourinho's hinted at, hinted at it and almost explicitly said it in several com, com, uh, press conferences, sorry, that just how important the, the conference league is to him as an objective for the squad this season. And I don't doubt the sincerity of his statements, but it's also interesting to see the the level of turnover that he was willing to have um, in that game. I think when you look at the bracket for the conference league, it really should be Roma Tottenham in the final. There's almost 0% chance that's actually <laughs> going to happen, but um, it's, it's, it's an important objective for us to have. And 
Um, but simultaneous to that, it's it's good to see that he's realizing the importance of not running the team into the ground too soon into the season. Yeah, he did mention before that match, I remember doing the probables last Wednesday, that he would have some turnover, but he was worried about the continuity, you know, being thrown off a bit because he did end up making, I think it was seven or eight changes. I think it was just Mancini, Patricio, and Pellegrini, and maybe Karsdorp, I think, were the only four that stayed. So he made seven changes from the weekend. And Roma did look a little disjointed early on, you know, giving up the goal to Seska within the first 20 minutes was certainly a bit of a, a shock. Um, they did bounce back. They especially bounced back, I noticed, though, after the the midfield was changed. He started VR and Diawara. He didn't have the kindest words to say about his midfielders and their intensity after the match, which was an interesting statement because, you know, Diawara and VR are two guys that are trying to earn more playing time. So it certainly didn't bode well for them. And Rome, I think, scored three of their goals after those two were subbed off. So that was one of my big takeaways was just the fact that it took Vertu and Cristante to come in to really get the, the offense generated more. Jim, what was what was your big takeaway from the match? My big takeaway was that this is a Roma that, at least in Europe, will be able to beat up on smaller teams again, um, which is exciting. And we've been seeing them do that against smaller teams. And when I say beat up on them, I don't mean, you know, like winning 2-0 or like 3-1. I mean like 4-1, 5-1 wins. We've had a 4-1 win and we've had a 5-1 win already this season. And that's kind of nice to not be on the receiving end of that kind of drubbing for a change. Like I'm, I'm used to the PTSD from like losing to Bayern and everybody like that. Um, seven, one. So honestly, that was what I was most excited for to see that even when the game was pretty much, you know, decided that Tammy Abraham was still going for a goal um, and wanted to score. And granted that was his first chance to really score in, at the Olympico. It was his first Olympico goal, but still, I was happy that we kept on pushing even after it was pretty obvious that we were going to win. Yeah, that was nice to see. You know, I think it's nice to see some of these Italian teams and even the Italian national team this summer and in recent years under Mancini move away from that old Italian, you know, thing like get up a goal or two and and pack it in and just get out of there. Even if it's like Italy versus Liechtenstein or Roma against Seska Sofia. So nice to see Roma pouring the goals for sure. Anything else you guys want to say about that match before we move on to the weekend? All right. So we'll move into some background into yesterday's match against Hellas. Of course, I had mentioned earlier that Hellas did fire Eusebio Di Francesco, our old friend, after, you know, his third straight spell of being hired and fired pretty quickly um, after the Samp and Calidi jobs. He hadn't won a match as a manager in like 20 matches or something, a poor guy. So I don't know where his career goes from here, but that's a, a topic for another day. Hellas hired Igor Tudor to take over, formerly of Udinese, from what I can remember. And, you know, always the risk of that new coach bouncing in the team step when they get the new manager in, maybe some new ideas, even if it is a quick turnaround. And that was something Mourinho was, you know, a little wary of in his press conference. In the match, he did return to his mostly preferred starting 11, which was pretty much what we expected. Out was Matias Vigna, who ended up not even dressing for this one. Ricardo Calafiori got another start. And it was Mkhitaryan, not 100% fit enough to start and, you know, give 70, 80, 90 minutes. So he was on the bench. And it was Elder Shmordov starting ahead of Stefan El Shawari on the left wing. A little bit of a surprise, not a shocker, but a little bit of a surprise. Both had been playing well. And it was uh, our first time seeing Eldor in the starting 11. Was either of you surprised by anything in the starting 11 coming into the match? Jim? Yeah, I was kind of surprised to see uh, our fullback set up. And I think that that's one of the things that kind of screwed us over in this match, to be honest. Um, I'm excited for Calafiori's long-term potential. 
but I don't really know whether the combo, the particular combo of Calafiori with Cardsdorp is going to work. It's not necessarily, and it's not really a criticism of either of them as individual players. It's more that I think that Karsdorp needs a very particular type of player on the left side to balance him out. And Calafiori just doesn't fit that right now. And so when you have that happen, I mean, we kind of saw that a huge amount of Roma's problem against Verona was their lack of fullback play, or at least lack of consistent unified play coming from those wings. And if you ask me, I think a lot of that started with Calafiori, unfortunately being forced into the start and then being paired with Karsdorp. Yeah, that's a good point. And actually bringing that up, it was the same two fullbacks who started on Thursday. And after the match, that was the other position besides uh, midfield that Mourinho wasn't the happiest about was his his fullbacks. He felt like they didn't push high enough in that match. And that was a match Roma, you know, put a 5-1 drubbing on, a, on an opponent. This is a match where they had a little more trouble offensively. So I think you make a good point because, you know, Vigna is not um, Spinazzola right now but we've still seen him push plenty up that left wing and, and a lot less of that from Calafiori in this match. I'm trying to recall. I don't remember Calafiori up much on the left at all. And cars for that matter in the right besides Pellegrini's goal. Yeah. I would just add that. I mean, we've seen that Calafiori has like offensive potential. It's just that it's not the same type of offensive potential or playmaking potential as, you know, even Vigna has shown so far mm-hmm. this season and definitely that Spinazzola shows, but we've already talked about how Spinazzola is kind of a one in a million type left back. Um, with Calafiori, it seems more like when most of the squad is closer to the other, to the opposition goalkeeper, he's able to like let loose a nice screamer that can really go in. But that's that the playmaking that we see from Spinazzola and to a lesser extent Vigna just isn't his calling card right now. And that could change. I mean, he's young. Um, and I don't think Spinazzola really played that way when he was younger either. Um, but for right now, expecting him to be like a like for like, just like a younger, maybe less talented at the moment version of Vigna or Spinazzola, I think that's unrealistic and it causes tactical problems overall. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so Roma coming into this match was joint first, you know, literally top of the table because of the goal differentials standpoint, uh, tied with. Napoli and Milan, who had the big match against Juve following Roma's match. Napoli ended up playing today. Uh, we can get into some of the other results toward the end to kind of just wrap up the table. And then it was, uh, you know, Hellas, like I said, was winless heading into this match. One of the teams that had just fired their manager along with Cagliari. So it, it, it going in, it shaped up like it would be, you know, probably a, not, I don't want to say a simple match for Roma, but what you would have felt confident heading in. I mean, I felt pretty confident with Roma riding high off of their six straight victories. Uh, didn't go that way for Roma. So, you know, we saw Brandon heading into this match. We'll get into some of the key moments now, kind of give like a rundown of the match and and stop and talk about things as we go. But Roma started pretty slow, huh? Yeah, they did. Um, I don't know if it's a hangover from the um, Conference League match or just um, some general... Um, level of being unsure due to um, the manager being changed and not knowing exactly how Verona were going to come at you. Um, I'd inclined to lean towards the latter. Um, you know, I think there's a different, there's a ton of different ways that Mourinho could have gone about setting up for this match and, um, you know, different ta- tactical formations that the players could have gone with, but you, you just don't know. And um, I think, for Roma, it was probably more important to 
whether whatever initial flurry was going to come their way following the understandable, you know, change of manager boost that Verona was going to get. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no. I just, I, I think that's, you know, kind of the root of the general trepidation in the beginning um, of the match. Yeah. And it was within the first six minutes, uh, Giovanni Simeone came close within six minutes of putting Verona in the lead, shot it, made a shot just right wide left of the post, uh, low to the corner, just missed. And Jim, how did you feel about that slow start when that, that first like initial shot across the bow came, came through? I wasn't that worried yet, to be honest, because I mean, we've seen games where Roma has started less than ideally and they've turned it around really quickly. And honestly, like coming into the first, like the end of the first half, like that's kind of what I felt like. It was like, okay, this is what we've seen from Roma before this already this season. Like they've, sometimes started poorly in the first 15 minutes, but they are able to find a way to get a goal by halftime. And so I wasn't too worried. I mean, Simeone is an interesting guy. I, I don't really know what he's doing at Verona at this point. It seems I would have thought he would gone to a bigger club, but uh, yeah, uh, I wasn't too worried. Yeah. His, his trajectory has been a little bit the opposite. Of what do you expect? He started with Fiorentina, moved to Cagliari and now Hella. So kind of a downward trajectory in some ways uh, for him, you know, following the footsteps of his father, a bit tough, but Roma's first real chance came in the 16th minute. Uh, unsurprisingly, it started with the right boot of Lorenzo Pellegrini, who's been in, in amazing form. He had a free kick, not uh, on the ground this time, but in the air over the top to Cristante, who headed the ball just off the top of the crossbar. So Roma had their first warning shot in the 16th minute, just missed, stayed 0-0. And then the first real concerning thing happened, and it had nothing to do with the play, nothing to do with the run of play, anything to do with Verona's chances. It was around the 20th minute where Tammy Abraham just started limping around the pitch, uh, actually went down and, and looked like he was calling for the trainers at one point. Nobody put the ball out of play. And uh, he was able to, to kind of, I guess, walk it off, as we say in sports, and, and ended up playing the whole match. So I guess whatever it was was maybe just a, a, a knock. Maybe he just wanted a quick spray. But, you know, Jim, how concerned were you when you saw that? I was pretty worried. That that worried me more than anything else. I mean, we'll talk about this later, but just in general, there were so many issues with refereeing, with the weather, with the pitch quality um, on Sunday that it just had the vibe of a match that wouldn't go Roma's way. And seeing people, seeing players like Tammy, who's obviously been so crucial to Roma's good form to start the season, um, limp around with only 20 minutes played, like that was definitely a worry too. Yeah, Brandon, what, what jumped in your mind when you saw Tammy out there on the ground calling for the trainers? Um, I was fearing for the worst. Um, I, I don't know, you know, you're, you, you see him um, walk it off and get back into the match and keep going. But in hindsight, you wonder how, how that affected him towards the end of the match. Um, because, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but he, he stayed in the whole match. So, you wonder if there were any lingering effects of that. Um, obviously, in the moment, nice to see him play it off, but you wonder if maybe Mourinho should have subbed him at a point. Yeah, it wasn't the most um, impactful match from him after that. So you do wonder how much of whatever little knock or you know twinge he might have felt might have affected the rest of his match. And and you know it might be something that we don't hear about now, but who knows if it creeps up later this week or something, and and then we have bigger issues. So hopefully, it's nothing serious. Hopefully you know, he was able to walk it off, like we said, and, and able to move on. 
In the 27th minute, we had a, a giveaway from Rick Karsdorf that led directly to a Lazovic shot just wide. Another, you know, close call for Roma. A poor giveaway from Karsdorf, uh, which led to a direct opportunity. Luckily, Roma dodged a bullet. And then, as Jimmy kind of alluded to a minute ago, the skies just opened up around the half half hour mark. I mean, it was pouring. Uh, the announcer even hinted at some hail coming down. You, you know, could the, see it. You, you could, could see it, it. yeah. That was crazy. You could hear it, yeah. <laughs> when, <laughs> on the audio. And, <laughs> yeah. And when you would get those like, like slow, slow motion shots is when you really see the rain. Uh, when you're watching like a, a game, you know, you might not see it as well in in full motion, but when they start slowing down and doing replays, you just saw the size of the, the rain and the hail. So it was rough conditions, you know, fearing for, um, you know, puddles on the, on the pitch that might stop the match. Uh, maybe it wouldn't have been the worst thing in the world for Roma given the end result, but um my wife was making fun of me because I literally, it was so heavy. I like literally went on AccuWeather and checked the, the radar in Verona. She goes, what, what, like, you're crazy. You're checking the radar in Verona. I was like, I need to know if they're going to keep playing the match. <laughs> but um, it, it lasted, you know, about till halftime. But for those 15 minutes, it did, was coming down hard. And ironically enough, it was Roma's, you know, only goal they scored with their own feet came during that, you know, deluge within the 36 minute. It was Lorenzo Pellegrini. Uh, I'll kind of give the how the, the goal happened and we'll talk about it because it was another lovely goal from him. So Nicolo Zaniolo was playing a bit of a one-two with Karsdorp. It looked like he went down at the edge of the box, um, was looking for the foul, but the referee gave the play on, which ended up working to Roma's advantage because Rick Karsdorp crossed it in sort of low, not on the ground, maybe like knee height or so, deflected off a Verona player and Pellegrini somehow on like the, the jump on the half volley with the inside of his foot behind his other leg kind of put it in. And I mean, the goalie Montipo had no chance because the, the way the ball was played in and the way he redirected it was, was beautiful. I mean, it was something that, you know, Francesco Totti did in his prime, those kind of goals where you're just like, how in the world did he do it? Uh, and it was Roma up one, nothing. So Brandon, you know, the goal, how'd you react to that? I, I think Totti-esque is a great way to put it. As a former Pellegrini hater, I <laughs> will be honest and think that, <laughs> and say that it deflected off um, one of the Verona players to go, and that's that was my initial um, thought. And then you know, seeing the replay, um, you're just like, wow, um, what a, what a move! And I think the the crowd in the stadium also had a similar reaction because when the goal initially went in, you hear like the low rumble, and then when they realized what just happened, you hear that crescendo, which was really cool to see. But uh, I don't know what more can, needs to be said about the run of form that he's on. Um, he's, I'll be honest, he's converted me into a fan. So um, as for three years of uh, being anti-Pellegrini, I guess that's, that says something. But yeah, great goal. And um, I think Tati-esque is probably the best way to, to put it. Yeah, I mean, the concentration after it deflected off the Rome, uh, Verona player initially on the cross for him to kind of still adjust to that in the air was 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 really impressive huh Jim yeah I, I mean I just have to 100% agree there and I've always been a fan of Pellegrini just just so everyone knows I liked him before it was cool and uh I would say one thing this is obviously you know very early in the season but the level that he's playing at right now um that goal was just one out of like six that he's already scored this season in all competitions. That's more than any other midfielder in the top five leagues. Um, and 
it's obvious to me that, you know, there's a combination of him getting to an age where he's more at a level of maturity that you start to see what a player's peak can become. And there's also the fact that I think playing for Mourinho is kind of pulling something out of him that we, he probably wouldn't have gotten with another season of Fonseca. So I'm, I'm not going to go as far as saying that he is like a, the best midfielder in Serie A or anything yet. Cause this is just way too, this could just be like a really good run of form. Like we remember when Under just like lit up the league and looked like he was going to be the next Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, so I'm not going to go that far yet, but if he's able to sustain this over the course of a season, I think that we have to have like a broader conversation about his potential ability and like how good he can be like career wise long-term. Yeah. That's a good point. I mean, when Mourinho was brought in, he kind of struck me as the guy who could play that Wesley Schneider role and, you know, an in inter Scudetto season, Schneider was very good. And, and like, that's the kind of play that we're getting from him now. So yeah, I'm happy to hear he's converted Brandon. Hopefully he'll keep it up now. And that's not like a jinx to him that we've got more people jumping on the bandwagon starts to slow him down. But I mean, it's, it's, it's great to see, especially from, you know, a a primavera grad, like we've talked about before. It's always good to see those guys that come through the system who, you know, come of come good. And uh, we'll talk about another primavera grad a little bit later in the second half, unfortunately not for Roma, but uh, the weather made the last 15 or so minutes of the half very difficult uh, for the players. You know, Roma was fortunate to score the goal that Pellegrini scored because it was very difficult for anybody to get much done. Like we said, luckily by halftime, it started to taper off. So the second half, the, the pitch was better. The, the conditions were better. And Roma went into the half one nothing. Slight edge in possession, 53-47. Uh, six shots to five, both teams, one shot on goal. But their, one thing that was a little concerning was the passing percentage was only 73%. I think Verona was somewhere in the low 80s. So that was a little bit of a, a concern for me when I saw that number at halftime. Because 73% as a team is pretty low. You don't know. You'll get individual players who make the more you know risky passes, so to say, speak, like those cross field balls will have maybe a lower percentage sometimes, but as a team, seventy three percent, not the greatest. And um, you know, for all those chances Verona had, at least dangerous, you know, little opportunities we mentioned earlier, it was very quickly into the second half where they equalized in the forty eighth minute. Um, Mancini deflected a ball off of a cross that was then had to be saved by Rui Patricio. Patricio did a great job just reacting to keep the ball of the net off of, I think it was Mancini's knee. Um, and then it was, it kind of fell to Barack who just had to run onto it and literally just touched it home. He got there ahead of Jordan Vertu and that kind of just turned the game on its head, huh, Jim? Yeah. Um, unfortunately it really did. I think that if Roma had been able to survive the first 15 minutes of the second half uh, without a goal uh, from Verona, that it would have been a very different rest of the match. But I mean, on the flip side, we've seen that this Roma does not necessarily respond well at the beginning of each part of the match. Like at the, for the first 10 minutes of a match and the first 10 minutes of the second half, that's when this Roma seems to be at its weakest. Um, that could obviously change, but that's just something that I've noticed in these first couple weeks under Mourinho. And the good news is that the reason why Roma was undefeated up until this match was that the second 30 to 35 minutes of each half was usually a time when the, they would pull it together, score a goal, make stuff happen that needed to happen. Um, and to a certain extent, we saw some potential for that later. Um, like this was a 3-2 game, right? Like we, they weren't blown out. But at the same time, 
if there was one thing that I would say was more concerning to me about all of Roma's matches and came to a, a head more here, it's that in those first 10 to 15 minutes of each half, we're seeing a more a club that's more struggling with coming out the gates and you know landing a knockout blow at the beginning. I think that that's something that worries me even beyond the context of losing this one match. Yeah, Brandon, wouldn't you say that's something to be concerned about how they, you know, conceded early because we did see issues, you know, early matches last season too, from what I can recall. And, and if that becomes a trend, it could become worrying. Yeah, I think, um, you know, you, you, you go back to the, the Sassuolo game just um, a, a couple of weeks ago and the same thing where they, they gave up that equalizer pretty early on in the second half. And that's a trend that um, dates back to seasons past where they just come out of the gates flat. And you would think under a Mourinho coach team, that would certainly not be the case. Um, especially if those of us familiar with the all or nothing documentary where, you know, some Spurs games, he would just rip into them and have to come out with a certain intensity and the level of, um, buy-in that we've seen so far from the squad with Mourinho, you would think that that would be the first thing that they have checked off the box. Um, so it's a little concerning that that's happened in back-to-back games in league play. Um, I think you have to look at the context of um, having the game in mid- having the conference league game in midweek. Um, maybe there are some tire legs out there. Um, but when you have a 1-0 lead coming out of the half, the last thing you want to do is let the opponent come at you. And that's exactly what they did. Yeah. And and like you said, two matches in a row. And even if you count the first half of that conference league match, same kind of trend, three matches in a row, because they conceded early in a half and all three of those matches. So certainly something I'm sure Mourinho will look to, to remedy because, you know, you can't afford to continue to fall behind in matches, give up early goals, especially when they start playing better sides, it could really come back to, to hurt them, you know, week after week, because we know the schedule gets tougher in a few weeks. And then, you know, Roma responded like we saw against Sassuolo, where they went back down the pitch and got an opportunity for themselves. This time it was a Pellegrini shot, which was blocked in the 52nd minute. So at least there was some initial response from Roma, just like we saw against Sassuolo, where they had that um, chance that Abraham ended up putting off the post off of a Pellegrini shot last week. So a little bounce back. But then just two minutes later, I, I talked about the Primavera graduate that is no longer with Roma, Gianluca Caprari. He, you know, continued the curse of the Roma X's when he scored. He got Gianluca Mancini turned around a bit, slide, slid the shot to the left of Patricio to the right-hand side of goal, and it was 2-1 Verona, you know, just nine minutes into the second half. How did that feel, Brandon? I think that was just evidence of uh, bad habits coming back to Bayou. You know, we just spoke at length about coming out of the, the gate in each half, um, not on the front foot and you know that that was bound to result in a situation like this where a team equalizes and then they have the momentum and they quickly score that second goal and uh, so I think this is more or less just evidence of that um yeah Jim anything on that goal Caprari has gotten incredibly good at scoring against Roma I believe that's the fourth goal that he's scored against Roma since leaving our youth academy and that's really frustrating. <laughs> um, not not because I think that he would be good enough to even like take over Carlos Perez's role, to be clear. Like, I don't think he's quality enough to be in this Roma side week in, week out in any way, shape or form. Um, but it is always frustrating to see an academy graduate just like keep on biting you in the ass 
which he out of out of any of the former Roma Roma people seems like he does that the most. Um, honestly, like with with that goal in particular, though, there there I I didn't really feel like there was too much blame to go around. That was one of the like the a lot of these goals just in general did make me feel like oh well of course that's going to go in like there's not too much you can do about it and we can get into that more later but like especially that Farioni strike it was like well there were some defensive issues but still if a guy's gonna score like that you're gonna he's he's gonna score you know um so I don't know it was more frustrating to me that a former Roma academy grad was the one doing the scoring than like the fact that that goal went in I didn't see any huge defensive lapses that made me just want to throw a shoe at the TV yeah I mean the curse of the X's continues because we remember last season Daniele Verdi killed us in the the Coppa Italia for Spezia Caparari like you've mentioned has made himself a little uh, reputation of coming back to bite Roma so it was 2-1 Verona after 54 minutes and then you know just four minutes later Roma struck back again this time it turned out to be an own goal but it was another play where Pellegrini was involved crossed the ball in intended for Abraham hit one of the defenders can't remember off the top of my head who it was but it was a level match after, uh, you know, just a few minutes later, the goal was uh, an own goal against Illich. So Roma leveled it up. And then there we are in the 58th minute. You're like, okay, Roma's back in it. New life, 2-2 match. Maybe we're good. Maybe it's a repeat of Sassuolo. Maybe we'll bounce back and, and just take care of business, get that third goal and get out of here, just escape with a win and the three points or, you know, at worst, maybe a draw. But we should have known better because just, Two minutes later, Verona threatened again when Paprati was saved by Rui Patricio. And Jose Mourinho at that point, you could see they they panned to him on the sideline. He was visibly very, very unhappy, huh, Jim? Yeah, I mean, you could see even after that 5-1 win that he wasn't exactly thrilled with how the team was playing. And I think that you could see, especially in a match that we actually lost, <laughs> that he was not happy with how things were going. And you can't really blame him. Um, I think some defending issues were definitely there just throughout the match. I mean, we already talked about that cars door blip that just made me really ugh, make made, made me hope that Brian Reynolds was further along in his development process than he's looked so far. Um, but yeah, I mean, there were just dumb mistakes that were happening over and over that didn't really seem like tactical errors from Mourinho either, which would explain why he was angry. It's just individual players making mistakes that result in goals, which you can't, you can't necessarily stop from happening if you're a manager. Yeah. Brandon, what, what do you think about, you know, those chances they were giving up even at two, two. Uh, yeah. Just to, to, to piggyback off Jimmy a little bit. I think that's the thing, right. That, you know, if it was um, a massive tactical issue, um, Mourinho could look in, uh, inward and be like, okay, I, I screwed this up. That's on me. But when you have players losing individual battles, that's something that, you know, historically Mourinho is not tolerated whatsoever. So it's not a surprise to see him react that way. I think, you know, similar to the, the Sassuolo game, it's promising to see the, um, the attitude shift following conceding a goal. But again, that really shouldn't be the situation that we find ourselves in. Um, it's nice to see the bounce back, but you would prefer that they come out of the gate swinging and not put themselves in that position to begin with. Yeah. You don't want to keep putting yourself in that position where you have to keep going back. Like 
we, we like that change of mentality, like you mentioned, where they bounce back quicker this, this year and they, you know, go right back down the pitch and try to hit back, but you don't want to have to always hit back. You want to be the team hitting first and, and staying in the lead and hitting a second time and really putting the pressure on the other team. So hopefully that is something that will start to turn around Thursday against Udinese because just three minutes later, Jimmy alluded to this goal before uh, the, the goal that Farioni scored to, to give Verona the, the lead that ended up being the winning goal was a heck of a goal. It was a half volley that he, he hit off the underside of the post and in Patricio had no chance. It was a great goal. Uh, you know, you tip your cap to him for, for scoring that goal. But one thing that I, I didn't notice in live time, which I saw a, a still image of, you know, right where he was when the, the play happened, um, the Twitter account at Roma things tweeted it out today. And you look at Farione and there's nobody defending the top of the box. Neither of the midfielders is there. I believe Vertu's out shifted a little bit to the left, defending someone else. And then I don't know where Cristante is at that moment, but he was wide open. So great goal, great hit. It's, it's a goal that's, you know, doesn't always come off well for the guy hitting the shot, but you, you, you hope that, you know, individual players are in better positions on a goal like that. Brandon. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, like you said, you tip your hat to Farione for, for scoring. Um like you said, that's not that's not a shot that comes off very often, but guarantee Mourinho is probably ripping into some players for not being there defensively and switching off. Um, having said that, though, even at that point in the match, down 3-2, I still had hope that we were going to win. Um, I would say probably up until maybe the 82nd minute is when reality hit in for me. And I think that speaks to the, the strides that this team has made compared to this season to last, because that goes, that goal goes in last season and I've completely switched off and I'm ready to, <laughs> for the game, the, the final whistle to be blown and go from there. So I think um, obviously there's, there's, um, there's defensive lapses on that goal. Wonder goal. You can't really do anything about, but at the same time, I think there are some positives at that point in the match that, um, you know, the, the, the match wasn't completely lost at that point. Agreed. Yeah. I have to say that I felt the same way. I didn't give up hope so quickly after the goal, like we may have seen in the past, Jim, what were your impressions on the goal and how were you feeling after Roma was down? Yeah. I mean, honestly, we've seen this Roma come back from goal deficits before. So I wasn't super worried. I kind of thought that especially, you know, this goal only being scored in the 63rd minute that there was definitely time to make something happen uh and especially just given who was out on the field I was like okay well Eldor has shown that he can be a influence especially at the end of games I'm not I wasn't too worried uh obviously that was a bit premature to not be worried but um I would also say that yeah I I I still this a lot of a lot of the factors in this match which we'll probably discuss later felt to me as if they weren't indicative of bigger problems with the squad long-term. A lot of them just seemed like enough people didn't have, like had an off night at once, which, you know, happens. Like no, no team was ever going to go 38 and 0 over the course of a season. Uh, so given that, I mean, I was still hoping for at least a draw um, probably until like the 88th minute, to be honest with you. Yeah. Agreed. And we'll talk about, you know, the other results and how Roma might come to, you know, rue this as missed opportunity, but credit to, to Hellas, you know, Mourinho made the subs to try to get them back in the match. 65th minute brings on Mkhitaryan, El Shrari and Perez. 
for Shamora Dofer, two and Zaniolo. So, you know, went a little slightly more offensive by pulling out a midfielder and basically putting more uh, attacking winger type players into the match. Uh, a big save by Rui Patricio in the 72nd minute, again on Caprari, who was hungry for a second goal, kept Roma in the match. So credit to him for keeping Roma at least within touching distance. Um, 78th minute takes off Karsdorp and Calafiori for Meyerall and Smalling. Roma basically was playing a 3-1-4-2 at that point with, uh, you know, the three center backs, Cristante as the deep line midfielder, and really, you know, Mkhitaryan and Pellegrini in between Perez and El Shirari with Meyerall and Abraham up front. And, uh, you know, Roma didn't really get any clear-cut chances that I can remember, mostly half chances. Um, and as Verona packed it in, they just, you know, continued more you know, defensive substitutions as the game progressed, knowing that they, they could taste victory and they were able to pull it out. Uh, just some, some final stats before we get into the big talking points. Surprisingly, in a five-goal match, the XG actually only favored Hellas 1.1 to 0.8, according to FB reference, which speaks to um, the quality of some of the goals to, to go in where you're only expected to score 1.1 goals and you score three. Um, same for Roma, 0.8, which makes sense considering they only scored one of their own goals, I guess. And uh, possession shifted. It was 53-47 Roma at half. It ended up being 53-47 Hellas by the end of the match. And shots on target. Roma had 15 shots, only two on target. That's an issue. Where Hellas had 10 shots, six on target. So we'll leave you with those stats. We'll take a quick commercial break, and then we'll get into some, some big talking points from the match. All right, we're back. So we left you with the summary, the, the main stats. We're going to talk about some, some of the big you know takeaways from the match. First off, what do you guys make of this? Is this, you know, just the, the new manager bounce in Hellas? Do you think this is something they can sustain? Because this is a team that was winless, uh, having trouble scoring goals. And all of a sudden they look like, you know, a team possessed really, Jim. Yeah. I think that there were a lot of factors here. Um, first of all, I would say that history has shown that Hellas generally isn't like a bum squad in Serie A. Like there's a reason why, we bought Kumbula from them. Like they generally have like a good collection of players. They're, they're not ever like challenging for champions league spots, but they're, they're, at, they're at least mid table most seasons and they don't really get relegated that much. So, I mean, I, I, I think that first of all, they were severely underperforming their potential so far this season. Um, second of all, I mean, I, I don't think I've seen a match with weather that bad in a long time. And that's another factor. I mean, even though the weather got better by minute 60 or 70, like I can't imagine feeling like I'm on my A game after, you know, 15 to 20 minutes of playing in hail and heavy rain. Right. Um, and then add in a fact, like not to be a home too much of a homer, but <laughs> that referee definitely seemed to have it out for Roma players. Like we were, t I think we talked about that the goal, uh, the goal at, at minute 36, that Pellegrini goal, um, I would have thought that Zaniolo got hard fouled um, at the at the edge of the box right before that goal happened. And it ended up in a goal, so it's not really the end of the world. But still, I feel like there were many times throughout this match where I was like, okay, that was a foul, and it was never called. Um, I'm pretty sure that – was it Caprari who beamed Cristante in the head with the, the yes. soccer ball at one point? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, like, there were just so many different things happening that the ref either wasn't noticing or was just not going to call that combined with all these other factors, yeah, I think it was more just like a new manager bounce combined with bad weather combined with 
a team really trying to prove themselves after not winning, like so many different factors just coincided here to make this a game that was going to be a lot more difficult for Roma to win than any other game that we've had and might even be more difficult than some other games that we have in the near future. And our, our schedule for the next couple of weeks isn't easy to say the least. Yeah. And you make a good point. Cause you s- talked a lot about what the ref let go, but um, that played into Hellas's hands in some ways because they played a physical match and they, you know, they were up in Roma's face a lot. Uh, and if you're not going to call fouls, that does play into their hands a bit. So Brandon, what did you make of the new manager bounce aspect of the, the game? Well, first off, I think for me, um, back when I was playing, I used to love playing in that type of weather. So watching it on screen, I was like, oh man, I'm so jealous of these players. But in terms of the result and, you know, Verona's performance, I think the new manager bounce is very much a real thing. Um, you know, we've, we've jokingly said we wish EDF stayed on for one more game, but <laughs> we, I actually, we actually do wish that. Um, and so I think they're not, you know, going to surprise anybody um, this season. They are what they are. And I think the result has more to do with um, Roma's issues than any magical performance by Verona. They, they played their part. They did it well. Um, things went their way. But aside from that, I think the, the, the result was more of an indictment on Roma at this point in time. Not so much... Um, long-term issues although there there's evidence to suggest that they're there but I think just as Jimmy was saying the combination of all the factors kind of got to them in this match yeah and and you know an indictment on Roma for sure I think offensively Roma really struggled in this one we you know I mentioned only two shots out of 15 on target prior to the commercial break you know Hellas played a, a match where they were pretty strong defensively. They didn't give Roma a lot of great chances. You know, it took a really special goal from Pellegrini to score and then an own goal off of uh, Illich. And Illich, you know, actually had himself a pretty good game outside of that, you know, little blunder, unfortunate for him. You know, I'm going to read through some of these defensive stats from Verona. And it kind of speaks to some loose passes from Roma in and around the box, not really linking up well because, you know, I'll go through the center backs to start. Gunter. Cecharini and uh, Davidovic started. Cecharini was taken off at halftime for Magnani for, I don't know if it was for performance or for injury, but the number of clearances that Verona had, five for Gunter, four for Davidovic, uh, six for Magnani, who only played half of the match. You know, two block shots for Gunter, three for Davidovic. Uh, you even had five clearances from Illich who played in the central midfield. So, you know, anytime Roma got in around the box, credit to Verona, they were, you know, keeping it, at bay and you know Roma has to be better linking up I'd, I'd have to say wouldn't you say Brandon yeah for sure you saw evidence of that in some of the previous matches too um especially in Sassuolo match where they just couldn't put a pass together and in this match you saw more of the same so that has to be a concern for Mourinho going forward you touched on it with the 73 percent passage uh passing success rate um i don't know if that was in the first half or over or over the course of the game i think it was the first half but still that that's evidence evidence to suggest that there there are some issues to fix and we've talked towards the tail end of the the transfer market and in the beginning of the season how wondering if um our inability to secure a defensive midfielder would come back to bite the club and maybe this is evidence of that Maybe Veritu and Cristante just aren't the players that need to be playing those positions at this point in time. Um, that'll reveal itself as we go forward, but I think it's starting to become a worrying trend that we can't put passes together in the midfield. 
Yeah, and the, the passing numbers ended up finishing at 72% for the team, so it even dropped 1% in the second half. And just to give an example of some of the players' passing percentages, just some of those guys you'd expect to be better, Jordan Vertu, 59.3%. Uh, Cristante, 78%, was actually one of the better passers in the match. Uh, Zaniolo, 61.5. Pellegrini, 71.4. Uh, Shamordov, 60.9. So the passing number is not really good from those attacking midfielders, those uh, central midfielders. The link-up, not very good, huh, Jim? Yeah. Um, I got to say, this was definitely not my favorite Jordan Vertu or Brian Cristante performance. And we've seen some really nice performances from both of them, obviously, so far this season. So to have them both underperform um, in one match, as I was saying, I think that the biggest issue was that a lot of players who are key to have at least like one or two of them working had an off night at the same exact time uh, against Verona. I think the fact that both Vertu and Cristante could not link together a pass to save their life um, against Verona is what really kind of doomed the match more than anything else. And I don't expect them to both have an off night at the same time. Again, unless they're, you know, being actively forced into bad passes by a much better team. Uh, So like if we play, you know, Inter or something, and they're being forced into making bad decisions, that's a little bit different than playing against Verona, where a lot of these felt kind of more self-inflicted, that there were obvious ways to do better, and they just weren't clicking in their heads at during the match. Um, so yeah, I, it was disappointing, but considering how good they've looked in all the other matches, I'm not too worried long-term either. Yeah, and one thing Mourinho talked about after the match, he was interviewed by by Rye, and I think just uh, by Daz in the um, carrier of the matches in Italy. And part of his quote, when they asked about, you know, the difficulties that Roma had, he said in, and I'm, you know, going to paraphrase this because it's in a time, but he said, in general, we had problems playing, you know, I guess in the sense that they wanted to play, uh, even with the, the ball, they exaggerated with too many long balls and the long ball percentages weren't good either. And that could be part in, you know, credit to Verona for pressing high, forcing them into those long balls and not just giving in. Um, he also said that, you know, he, we knew they were good in their individual defensive duels, but we looked too much to go, you know, directly at them. And, uh, we missed a bit in our, our quality of play. Um, so, you know, he said too many long, you know, long balls and the long ball percentages weren't good. Sometimes we see the long balls come off. Well, when you're playing on the counterattack, you know, Rude Patricio, 14 of 34 on long balls, um, three of eight for Cristante, who's usually pretty accurate on long balls. They were the the main guys, uh, Vertu, zero for four. So, you know, you keep playing these long balls, they're not coming off well, and it, it really stifles any attacks that Roma had. So the offense definitely needed something. You know, they tried literally every attacker they had yesterday. There was nobody else on the bench. Uh, before Meyer all came in, I looked at the bench, and I actually said to myself, I wonder if he's going to bring on off these two fullbacks and bring on maybe a center back like Smalling and Meyer all just out of desperation. That's what he did, but you looked at the bench, there was nobody else. He brought on Pettis, he brought on SES, he brought on Mkhitaryan and nobody could make it happen yesterday. You know, Abraham, we mentioned had a quiet match in the end. Abraham, you know, let me check the touches real quick, but he was not heavily involved. He had 34 touches all match. Shamordov in the 65 minutes he played had 32. Zaniolo 36 in the 64 minutes he played. So those guys who are your main goal scoring threats outside of Pellegrini right now, not touching the ball a lot. You know, Pellegrini touches it more because he's kind of that attacking trequartista. He kind of facilitates a lot of the play, 65 touches to, to lead the team. Um, but outside of him, it was uh, pretty dismal in the attack. The guys that came on, 
Mkhitaryan not very impactful. Neither was uh, El Sharari Meyer. All barely touched the ball once he came in. Perez, you know, brought some life, but didn't really beat a man off the dribble or anything like that. So, you know, we'll hope it's a little bit of just bad weather, a physical dep- opponent, maybe a little bit of the refereeing, and you know, they could shake this off because we hope this doesn't become a worrying trend because they're going to need to find those goals, especially if they're conceding on the other end. Um, you know, so. I want to go back to Eldor because it was his first match as as a winger. And Jimmy brought up something about Calafiori before, which was uh, got me thinking a little bit because he had mentioned how Calafiori doesn't, you know, have that ability down the left flank yet that Spinazzola has that even Vini has begun to show to, to take players on play, make a bit. And I wonder, because Eldor was very quiet. I didn't think he had a very good match. I wonder if some of that had to do with who he was paired with as the left back as you know, Calafiori being a little more tentative than the other wingers. Do you think that has something to do with it, Jim? Yeah, I definitely think that was probably part of it. I mean, we've seen Shomorodov not necessarily be playing on the wing in as direct a way, but with Abraham before, and it's worked. Um, Granted, that was against a much worse side than Verona, so I think that's probably a factor here. Um, But at the same time, I don't think that El, the Eldor as a left winger experiment needs to be, you know, thrown out just because of one less than impressive match. And I think that especially with it seeming like Mikatarian does not have the juice to be playing as much as, you know, we all might like for him to be playing. Uh, it We need to use as many of our offensive options outside of him as frequently as possible. And so I do think it could have made life harder for Calafiori to be working with a Shamuradov instead of, you know, even an SES um, for most of the match. Uh, but at the same time, uh, again, I think that it was a, just, a, I think that a lot of this boils down to too many people having an off night at once for Roma. Yeah. What about you, Brandon? Yeah, I'd have to agree. I think it makes you wonder whether or not Roma would have been better served to start off with El Sharari as opposed to Shamuradov. Um I think it was a it was an earned start based on how Shmurdov has been playing in his super sub um, role thus far, but when you when you think of what SES can offer as opposed to Shmurdov, I think maybe in this game, when you have a Calafiori as your left back, you might go to the more experienced player um, on that left hand side, you know, help carry the ball out. Um, help out defensively when needed. And then, you know, if it's not working, you can always throw on Shemordov. And he has that work rate to run against tired legs and um, make up for any skill deficiencies that he may or may not have. But um, I think they probably would have been better suited to, to, to switch the rotation on that one. Yeah, I was a bit surprised when I saw Shemordov. And I think the way the match played out, you're right. It probably would have suited El Shari a little bit better from the start. And maybe, you know, give Eldor his start maybe Thursday against Udinese and give somebody else a, a match off there if you want to reward him for his play. Because he he has deserved a start. He's played well, but uh, it became maybe not the right time to to do it, so to speak. So, you know, defensively too, I think even as worrying as it is sometimes to only get one goal on Verona and, you know, get a second goal through an own goal, I think giving up three is, is the little more worrying part in a match like this because it was a team that was struggling a bit, you know, I think you guys made a good point when you said a lot of guys had an off night all together at the same time. It wasn't like we could just say, you know, Karsdorp had a crap game. They, they killed us down the right side. It's all on Karsdorp or, you know, the, the center backs had some, some brain freezes and that, that cost us goals. I think it was 
really a team performance. And, you know, I think fatigue could be part of the factor. Um, maybe it's a lot of matches and in, in not many days. Again, we turn around, we have a Thursday match. So, you know, what, what stood out to you maybe defensively that you didn't like about this performance, Brandon? Uh, it's hard to say because as we were saying, it's kind of uh, all hands on deck in terms of uh, who had an off night. I think, I feel like maybe not so much in this game, but certainly in the season as a whole, I feel like we often leave Mancini and Abanias isolated by themselves with the fullbacks probably pushing a little too high up. Um, I think in a game like this, you pro- that, that is normally okay to do because normally you would expect Verona to kind of sit back and take their opportunities to attack. But I think overall, a more worrying tra- trend is how often we're leaving Mancini and Abanias isolated on these 1v1s. Yeah, what do you think, Jim? Yeah, I mean, I definitely would pick out the fullbacks as, you know, causing most of the defensive issues this time around. Uh, Karsdorp in particular kind of rubbed me the wrong way this match. But I would also say that the most encouraging thing that I saw defensively was that even though Roma conceded three goals, there was no goal that was conceded where I was like, wow, Rui Patricio really let us down. And that is still such a nice change of pace from what I've been expecting from Roma since basically we lost Allison. Um, like it would be, it would, it would be great. It's great that when we concede goals now, it's because of an outfield player as opposed to our goalkeeper, you know, missing a completely savable uh, shot. And I'm I, I'm still invested enough in the long-term project that is our young center back pairing of Mancini and Ibanez to not be too worried. Like I think that the fact of the matter is when you have younger players like them as your main starting center backs, which I think it's fair to say, even if when Smalling gets back to 100%, it's probably going to be a Mancini Ibanez pairing. Um, you're going to have some off nights. They're young. Um, I think. Mancini is the old one and he's what 24 25 uh, at this point so I'm not too worried in the long run there's going to be growing pains with any young player and yeah as I said I think that a lot of people just had an off night all at once yeah and uh, I think you're right I think the fullbacks had a lot to do, especially uh, and I don't want to pick on Karsdorp but a, a lot of the attack came down that right side it was interesting they went after Karsdorp more than they actually went after Calafiori I don't know if maybe the midfielder on that side was helping Calafiori more or not, or maybe it was just, you know, because Caprari was on their left and they felt that was a good matchup for them because it, the, the first goal, you know, came off the, the left side when it was crossed in or rather our right, their left. So it was, you know, the, the Karsdorp side crossed in Mancini got a block on it, but it, you know, went at Patrizio had to make the save. They tap it in the next goal Caprari scored. It was off that same side again, where he, got inside on Karsdorp and then it was, it was one-on-one with Mancini and Mancini got beat, um, you know, didn't fend it awfully, but it was just a good play by Caprari, good shot, kept it away from Tricio. And then, you know, the last one, what could we say that was from the top of the box like we talked about before, but you're right. I like the point you made about Patricio because so often in the past we've com- come on and, or written about, you know, Paul Lopez let us down, Robin Olsen let us down. Patricio hasn't let us down. He even made a couple big saves to keep Roma in this match, uh, particularly the one on Caprari around the 72nd minute to at least keep Roma, you know, give him a chance to bring on those offensive subs and try to make something from this match. So 
tough match all around. You know, the one, the last thing I wanted to touch on was just the midfield. We talked about the midfield. And, and one thing I noticed in the match, and I think after Thursday becomes even more, you know, kind of glaringly clear of what Mourinho thinks about his midfield depth, because, you know, Cristante and Vertu started. Cristante played the whole match. Uh, Vertu had a rough match, and the sub was really to bring on another player in a different position and drop Pellegrini maybe a little more into the midfield role. Uh, even at the end, sacrifice the midfielder and go three def- defenders and push another attacking player. Because I don't know if Mourinho feels like in a match like this where they need to make something happen offensively, if he has another midfielder that he trusts, or even from a, if one of those two is struggling in the double pivot, a midfielder who he trusts defensively, because I don't think VR or DOR was ever a thought in his head yesterday from the way he managed this match. What do you think, Jim? I do wonder. I, I'm beginning to think more and more that at least until Roma gets a chance to bring in a midfielder in January, that there's a better and better chance that we're going to see someone like Eduardo Bovic come in and get some serious runtime, uh, at least to, you know, give Cristante and uh, Veritu some rest. You know, we have a pretty packed schedule coming up where it, I, I highly doubt that we're going to drop out of the ECL anytime soon. So that plus the Copa when that starts up will cause a lot of matches to pile up. And if he doesn't trust VR or DOR, which I agree he definitely doesn't, then I would expect Bove to maybe get a call up. I would expect that for the attacking midfielder, Zaluski, who I think was supposed to be called up, but then had some gastroenteritis issues. Um, he'll probably be called up. This is a good squad in a lot of different ways. I think that we're seeing right now, just maybe as the Verona saw by replacing Di Francesco with Tudor, that the ability of the players in the squad what is higher than how the team as a whole was playing last season. Um, since we didn't really have a huge number of major changes to the starting 11. Um, so I would say that, yeah, uh, there's going to be growing pains and th- this is still a squad that needs some depth. And hopefully we can get that in January sooner rather than later. Brandon, what do you make of the midfield depth and Mourinho's maybe choices? Yeah, I'd have to agree with everything that you guys said. Um, I'm curious as to how quickly the the outside noise uh, um, starts to grow in size in terms of when um, Mourinho should deploy Mancini as a defensive midfielder. We saw that a little bit under Fonseca, and he performed pretty well in that role. So you wonder if there's going to be a point in time in which Mourinho um, – turns to it because as you guys were saying, it's clear that he doesn't trust the other options that we have on the bench. And, um, you know, Mancini is one of his guys. So it's, it's not far fetched to see um, him consider that maybe tweak the formation a little bit. Um, Brent and I just dropped a piece on the site um, where we touched on this a little bit, but um, so, yeah, I think, you know, in a pinch, let me take that back. I, I think Mourinho won't go to that option unless there's a significant injury crisis and the midfield depth is just completely de- depleted. Um, I agree with Jimmy on what he was saying with Bove, but um, yeah, I think I think you know in a in a crisis, Mancini might be a name to look out for in that role. Yeah, it it certainly begs the question because even uh, VR. Man, uh, Mourinho was asked about him in his pre-match presser and 
he said, you know, I still value him, but you know, Fonseca interprets football differently than I do. And, you know, that's why he, because they asked why he played more last year is basically the question. He, you know, he said it, Fonseca value, you know, values different things in his football. And, and we can see that because I didn't think VR had an awful game on Thursday, definitely better than Diawara, but uh, it didn't seem like neither of them did what Mourinho really wanted them to do. And, you know, Cristante and Vertu, I like both players, but neither of them's a true defensive midfielder like we've talked about before. So if Mourinho wants a true defensive midfielder, Roma doesn't really have that on the roster right now, except for maybe like a Bove, who's a young kid uh, who could maybe fill that role. But it's going to be interesting to see the way he manages, especially with a busy schedule, because you can't rely on Vertu and Cristante every match, every match and burn them out. Uh, we saw what happened. Vertu ended up getting injured last year in the the Europa League uh, and it, against United. And that was bad news for Roma, you know, or whichever match he got hurt when he went out, it was bad news. I think it was actually in the Fiorentina match and uh, they struggled without him. So you don't want to burn these guys out and, and get big time injuries that keep them out for a long time. Because then if, you know, you have to wait till January to even potentially make a move, it could be disastrous to the campaign um, because the midfield is so important. One other guy um, Jimmy touched on earlier was Brian Reynolds. Interestingly enough, he was left in the stands for this one, and it was uh, Filippo Trippi who was brought on the bench. He played Roma's preseason, uh, you know, because he could play left back. He was like the emergency left back for this one. Mourinho had mentioned he could play a few other positions. Um, do you guys think that this is just, you know, Trippi maybe was more suited to play left back if needed, or do you think maybe Reynolds? is a little bit in the doghouse because we saw when he did make that appearance toward the end of the Sassuolo match, he was getting a little flack for being a little lax by Mancini and Cristante. So I'm wondering what it is with him. What do you think, Brandon? Uh, I think it's more so Reynolds being in the doghouse. I actually was going to mention this when we were talking earlier about Calafiori platooning with Vina in that left-back role. Um, it's, pretty, it's a pretty big indictment on Reynolds that he wasn't called up for this game. Um, especially considering um, Karsdorp is not, not too far removed from his own injury struggles. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I believe he's played every game so far this season as a starter. So I believe so. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, we, we talk about uh, managing Zaniolo's minutes, Spinazzola throughout his recovery timeline. Um, Karsdorp is in that same boat. Um, and aside from, I mean, you look at your options, uh, it's Karsdor, Santon, Reynolds, some other players who are primarily left back that can, that can play both if needed. So the fact that Reynolds isn't called up to give Karsdor any kind of cover is pretty, is a pretty big indictment. And I think it's a, it's a message from Mourinho to, to kind of get it together. Yeah, and before I go to you, Jim, I'll also throw in on Thursday, it was Roger Ibanez who came off the bench at halftime to, I guess, give Karsdorp some time off and play right back rather than Reynolds, who'd never made it off the bench. And then in the end, when they finally took Calafiori off later in the match, Ibanez shifted to the left, and it was Max Kambula who came in at right back. So I think that speaks a little bit to it too, don't you, Jim? I think it does, but at the same time, I'm not – I'm not too worried. I think that even coming into the season and probably even when we bought him, most people would have told you pretty clear eyed that Reynolds is definitely, you know, a step above the Primavera players in terms of the pecking order. But I think he's still like half a step behind Calafiori in terms of where the club sees him and his development. And that's not an indictment of uh, Reynolds per se. I don't think, I think that 
you know, we, we've forgotten how just how long Calafiori has been, you know, in and around the senior squad. I think this is his third season, like as a squad player for the first team. Um, not necessarily getting too many starts before now, but still, you know, a guy who's been getting on the bench at the very least. Um, so this is a guy who's, you know, U21 for the Italian national team. He's obviously seen as a like a future star. Let, and I think the fact that Reynolds isn't there just yet, you know, he's not even 21 just yet. I'm not too worried about that in the long term. Do I think we need to get a backup right back in the winter window? Yeah, I think the two priorities for the winter window, as far as we have seen so far, uh, will be a midfielder who can act as a rotational option for Mourinho in that particularly that Vertu Cristante role uh, and the backup right back. And once we get that, I think it'll also give uh, Reynolds a bit more time to develop on the training ground as opposed to, you know, being thrown in at the 87th minute and being yelled at by Mancini for screwing up something. Yeah. And, and I don't want to, you know, trash on Reynolds because he's a young player, like you mentioned, has only been in Italy for, you know, maybe eight months now or so. He came in, in January. So nothing against him. It's just interesting because he was brought over. And I, part of what got Roma the deal ahead of Juve was he wouldn't be loaned out. So I guess we have to expect some growing pains. He's going to have to expect to have some limited playing time, especially now with the manager turnover. Hopefully he'll develop. But I, I think right back will be a place that Roma looks. If Santone's not being reintegrated into the squad, um, unless Vina can play some right back or they plan on using Spinazzola occasionally on the right, they're going to need some depth there to, to give Karsdorp some time. Um, because and, he, and he's had his own struggles early in the season where maybe if there was another better option at right back. Maybe Karsdorp doesn't start every match because we saw the giveaway that led to a good chance for Hellas. He's had little issues here and there. So maybe, you know, things would be a little different. If there was another right back. So let's just look ahead a little bit. Now we have another busy week for Roma, uh, two week match. Roma gets the, the Thursday match because of uh, Udinese played today against Napoli and got hammered for nothing. So I'll run through some of the scores, you know, kind of give an update on the table. And then we'll talk about the two matches coming up. So, uh, Torino beats Sassuolo one nothing. Fiorentina continues to play well. So Roma's win against Fiorentina looks even better now because Fiorentina's won three straight. They beat Genoa. Inter uh, 6-1 over Bologna to jump provisionally to the top of the table before Napoli won today. Atalanta squeaked out a one nothing win. So they're still not firing on all cylinders. Uh, Samp got a 3 nothing win over Empoli. Spezzi beat Verona 2-1. Uh, Lazio had their own struggles against a team that fired a manager yesterday. They drew 2-2 to Cagliari. So they're not in the hottest form. Uh, the big match was Juve Milan ended in a 1-1 draw on Sunday right after our match. And then Napoli today, 4-0 over Udinese. So just at the top of the table, Napoli leads perfect record, 12 points. Inter and Milan both with 10 now. And Roma, 9. Fiorentina, 9. Um, Lazio at Atalanta, 7. And then we can go all the way down the table. This is kind of fun, actually, go all the way down the table to 18th because that's Juve at 2 points. So, well, at last, we could have some fun. Um, <laughs> they're struggling. Uh, two points through four matches. I'm sure they'll eventually start to creep back up the table. But, you know, looking at the top, a little bit of a missed opportunity for Roma in this one because they had even gotten a point out of it. They're, you know, tied for second. But it is what it is. And now they um, they host Udinese on Thursday. I had to think about where they were yesterday. So they host Udinese Thursday coming off a heavy loss. What do you expect from Roma on Thursday, Jim? Well, I think that'll be really interesting to see what kind of rotation we see against Udinese because obviously, you know, Mourinho's no idiot. He knows how important the Derbe della Capitale is. And he also knows that for most of Fonseca's tenure, it was consistently a disappointment of a match. Like I 
do not remember Roma winning the Derby della Capitale while Fonseca was in charge. I could be wrong on that, but I do not remember a win. Just the end of the season last year, there was like two weeks left and Latte was kind of okay. cemented in the Europa League, I think. Okay, so it was essentially a pointless match um, beyond, you know, bragging rights. So he knows the Derby della Capitale is important. He knows it's the toughest opponent we've faced so far this season. I wouldn't be surprised to see a lot of players rested. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised to see, you know, a Shamorodov start. And also this Udinese side is a side that, you know, lost to Napoli just now 4-0. Like, I'm not going to go underestimating traditionally mid-table sides again, because, you know, I did that with Hellas. But at the same time, if we've seen how Roma performs in most of their matches so far, we should be seeing a win, I think even if there's some rotation and I think it would be smart of Mourinho and I expect Mourinho to be, even if he won't say it more focused on making sure that the Derby della Capitale is a win than anything else. Yeah. What do you think in Brandon about Thursday? Um, so I think generally I agree with everything Jimmy said. I think the, the rational approach would be to kind of have a semi-heavy rotation for the the midweek game in advance of the derby on Sunday. But I also think that Mourinho is the type of person and manager who will want to bounce back emphatically after this defeat. And so I don't necessarily expect a turn of turnover from, um, from the Verona game. I think maybe the thinking there is secure the three points midweek and then kind of you know, you may have some tired, more tired legs than you would like at your disposal, but you kind of hope that the players can get themselves up because it is a derby after all, and the motivation is there on its own. So I'm hoping that, you know, I, I personally, I agree with Jimmy and I would like to see some turnover, but I think if we're going on how I suspect Mourinho to operate. I think it'll be more or less the same 11, but hopefully with kind of a fire under their ass and um, kind of put the, take a stranglehold of the game relatively early. And in that scenario, then you can, you know, make your changes as you need and rest some guys once you secure that three points. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, turnover is always a good thing when you have these busy weeks, but I think Brandon made a good point because Mourinho had said it, you know, a week ago, like he doesn't like too much turnover. He wants the continuity, especially early in the season. I could see him going maybe two, three changes in this match and, and doing what you said and just trying to get the team back going. Like Pellegrini has played almost every minute so far. You know, he's been five minutes off at the end of a match, 10 minutes off at the end of the match, but he's played a lot of minutes, but he's not going to take out his hot hand, you know? Um, one guy maybe gets a rest, maybe a Mancini gets a rest for like a smalling because he's been playing a lot of minutes. Maybe you just play Ibanez and smalling. I think that's a place where they could make a change and not suffer too much. Um, Vina's probably not ready for 90 minutes if he didn't even dress for this match. So I'm maybe looking maybe toward Vina on Sunday. Maybe Mikatarian gets back in the starting 11 in this one. Um, maybe it's Zaniolo gets a rest for, for Perez or somebody because he's had a rough go lately. Maybe he just needs a little maybe a super sub appearance, maybe could spark him against some tired legs, something to get him mentally. You know, he, he hasn't been himself and we know it's going to take time. So I'm looking at a couple changes, but I, as much as I think we'd all like to see heavier rotation, be fresher for the Derby. I think Mourinho's kind of MO so far has been keep it to a minimum. And I think that, you know, could be it. And hopefully against Udinese, they come out firing on all cylinders. This is a team that 
was dominated today by Napoli. And they were playing pretty well before that. They were two two wins and one draw in their first three, and then Napoli just took it to them today. You know, I looked at the numbers quick before we came on. Napoli, 63% possession of 37, and, and outshot them 18-9 to nine with eight shots on target and only one Frutinese. So it's a team that, if Roma approach it the right way, I think they can be had. And, you know, I'm thinking back to Udinese last season when Roma had such difficulty breaking them down because um, they just kind of parked the bus and Roma struggled to score. And I, I forget who it was that scored a real nice goal to, to escape Friuli with a one nothing victory, but they were tough for Roma to break down. So I'm hoping Roma, you know, goes at them and doesn't just, you know, be content conceding possession to a mid-level team like they did to Verona, 50-50 sort of possession match. Go at them and, and hopefully take care of business and get some momentum going into the Derby. You know, we, we won't record again probably before the Derby. So let's talk just quickly about that since it's a, another match away. But, you know, I'm excited for Saudi versus Mourinho. I think the Derby has a new life this year. Lazio's having their own learning curve under Saudi. We've seen they also concede a lot of goals. My best friend is a Lazio fan, and, and he said to me, you know, I expect at least four goals in the Derby based on the way the teams are playing right now. You know, they gave up two to Cagliari. They needed a late goal to even salvage a draw against the Cagliari side that also just fired their manager. So I think it could be a, a higher scoring affair than maybe you would expect from a Mourinho-led side because both teams are conceding goals right now. So what are you looking forward to in the Derby, Jim? Well, I mean, I I appreciate Sorry, but I don't think that he is necessarily on the same level of manager as Mourinho or even, you know, uh, I mean, Allegri's not exactly been performing well with Juventus so far, but I, I still think of Allegri and, and Mourinho as kind of on a different level than Sarri tactically. I, I'm looking for an exciting game. I mean, it's, I don't really enjoy Ciro Mobile's style of play, whether it's for Italy or for Lazio. I, I, I find it to be like an even less engaging version of Ed and Jaco's style of play, like old Ed and Jaco's style of play. Um, and yeah, I, I, so I don't know. I, 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 I expect it to be an exciting game because this match is never dull, but I'm anticipating that more to be an issue with tempers flaring because we even saw in preseason that these guys, this Roma squad is not willing to, you know, it's willing to like let tempers fly. And I would not be surprised to see a hard fought match where people get upset, you know, I'm especially, you know, Gianluca Mancini seems like the perpetual candidate to blow his top. Um, and, you know, it's going to be an entertaining 90 minutes. I don't know who would win, but I'll obviously be hoping for Roma. Yeah. What are your thoughts on the, the Derby looking ahead, Brandon? My hot take prediction for the Derby is that the Derby is going to be Zaniolo's breakout game. Finally. Um, aside from that though, I, you know, at the start of the season, looking at the schedule, we saw all these winnable games prior to the Lazio game. And I was hoping that we would, you know, go into the Lazio game undefeated, ride that wave of momentum and crush them and, you know, go on to greater glories. But simultaneous to that, I'm also grateful that the loss happened when it did in the sense that it kind of, you know, brought the team back down to earth prior to this massive game that we have on Sunday. I think one of the worst things that could have happened to this team is to go into that game undefeated. And um, we don't want this to happen, obviously, but let's say that they get crushed on Sunday. 
that would probably do more damage to the psyche of this team than this one-off Verona loss. So I'm grateful that the Verona loss happened when it did to kind of, you know, get your, get, get the team's head back on straight. Having said that, I'm very excited for this game. Like you were saying, I think the arrivals of Sarri and Mourinho really injects um, kind of a fresh air into the rivalry and it's, both teams have their flaws. So I, I think generally it'll be exciting in the game, but also one of those games that'll be too, too hard to predict. Yeah. It's always hard to predict a Derby. Uh, you know, last year, Roma as poor as they were playing won the the second Derby a couple of years ago and Roma was playing decent. I think heading into Fonseca's first Derby, they ended up getting crushed at four, nothing. It was just an awful match to watch. And, you know, a match like that, like you were saying, could just crush a team, you know, and, throw everything off course. So maybe losing to Verona is not the end of the world. It gives them the Udinese match to bounce back and get their heads straight and then go into the Derby with the right mindset, you know, confident enough in themselves, hopefully after a victory against Udinese, but not flying too high where they can be easily deflated if things don't go right in the first 15, 20 minutes of the match. One thing I want to keep an eye on because now Pellegrini is really establishing himself as like the Roman star, the Roman captain. And we saw in the past, how big the moment is for these Roman players in the Derby. And there were matches where Totti and De Rossi just were completely off the mark because I think the moment just gets so big. And there was a match, i trying to remember who the manager was. It might have still been, I want to say it was Ranieri the first time he was here, but there was a match where I think he pulled Totti and De Rossi at halftime of the Derby. And you're like, what, what the heck is he doing? And it was just the moment got too big for them. And, and Ranieri was a guy who really understood the Derby as a Roman. And I'm, I want to see if Pellegrini, because he's in such scintillating form, if he can, you know, live within that moment and really grab the bull by the horns. Because if he can take the derby over like he did a couple of years ago, when he had that beautiful back heel goal when he was really struggling. Maybe it catapults him, you know, even more into the spotlight and Serie A and really gets into the discussion as, you know, one of the top midfielders in Serie A because a goal in the derby, you know what that means for a Roman player. So I'm really curious to see if he's the guy that can, live in the moment and not be overwhelmed by it. And I like Brandon shout. I hope that Zaniola has his breakout moment in the Derby because that would be a great way for him to get off the mark in Serie A because we know he hasn't scored yet in the league. It's just been in the conference league so far. So um, guys, anything else you want to, you know, mention to the listeners before we sign off on this one? Yeah. One last thing. Isn't it great that Juventus is in 18th place? I, I personally love it. Um, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like we need to talk about that a little bit more. Just isn't that isn't that such a unique feeling? You know, see a club in the relegation zone that you know actually kind of deserves it based off of their past behavior. <laughs> it really is. It was it was a lot of fun actually scrolling all the way down as I was looking at the table. But um, yeah, I mean, the last two matches, tough matches, draws aren't the end of the world normally. But you know that would have been contingent on them beating Udinese and Empoli, which they did not do in their first two matches. So seeing them with four matches winless. Um, you know, I was talking to the custodian of my school today. He's a big soccer guy, but he doesn't follow Serie A super close. And I said to him, you know, Juve hasn't won a match in four matches. And it's kind of astounding to say at the, the beginning of the season. So it'll be interesting to see. I think they play Spezia on Wednesday. Um, you know, if you can't beat Spezia, then God, who knows what's going on over <laughs> there. But imagine if Spezia can pull out some kind of results against him, even if it's a draw. All I want is for Juventus to get relegated and then we can grab Dybala on a free transfer or something. That, that would, that would be great. You know, cause I mean, I'm still hurting over the fact that we got Iturbe instead of uh, Dybala all, the, all those seasons ago. So that would be nice payback. I wouldn't, I definitely wouldn't complain if that happened. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, you know, we'll have a lot of match coverage this week. Um, 
I, I put out the SETI Al wide match preview for, you know, the whole midweek match week today. We got the brand versus brand, our new series, uh, the second post of that. I believe that's the second one, right, Brandon? Yep. Yep. Just came out. Um, yeah. Today. Uh, please check yeah. that out. Yeah. So check that out. And then of course, you know, match preview centers and saints, probable formations, all that good stuff will be out. You know, you can interact with Brent on the, the Twitter. If you're watching the match live on Thursday and Sunday, I'm sure there'll be plenty going on. So thanks for listening and thanks for all your support. 